starting, scaling, and exiting a business is hard. So why do some companies achieve seven, eight, and nine-figure exits? To answer these questions, we sit down with top entrepreneurs who have exited for more than $10 million or currently run $10 million plus businesses and grill until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Welcome to Beyond 8 Figures. Time we do share the stories uh, of entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than ten million dollars or currently run businesses that gross more than ten million dollars annually, and we grill them a little bit until they share their tools and tactics and shortcuts only and resources. Only I, I that's appreciate true. We're that. the heart of the show. <laughs> that is the heart true. and soul. He talks figures. We talk beyond the figures. That is true. Exactly. And uh, and and I will say this: that folks are are definitely digging on the interviews, man. But so much so that we um, we actually broke the the top ten today. Uh, in management and marketing. And so this is the only time that I can kind of look down at, uh, at Gary Vee and Tim Ferriss and kind of go, F you guys, yeah. look at me. And then like, it's like tomorrow the it'll change again. Yeah, yeah tomorrow right. it'll change again. No, but, no, um, not up. This interview will take you straight this, back up. Exactly, because Sharon's going to share it with his 28 billion, 28 billion followers, I think is what you said, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let, me, let me just do this real quick. We just want to recognize you guys who are taking the time to rate and review and subscribe to the show uh, and really do appreciate it. Uh, let me just recognize Morgan Sheets out of the gate here, who uh, left a, just a really nice five-star review saying, prior to receiving the email about the release of the show, I had expressed a desire to expose myself to seven- and eight-figure earners who had maintained their wealth long-term to learn more about their mindset, strategies, and lives. In building my business, I realized six figures was no longer an exciting goal. Then I got an email saying this podcast was launching. Feels like I manifested it. Listened yesterday for the first time, and I love this show so much. Awesome. Didn't mean to shout because he did say that in all caps, uh, but that's how exuberant I felt while listening. I'm so grateful to be able to tune in and listen to these conversations. Thank you for creating this show. So, Morgan, you are welcome, and uh, really do love it when you guys rate and review and subscribe to the show. If we deserve five stars, awesome. If we don't, you can obviously let us know that as well. So, Sharon, let's dive uh, straight into it here, man, because... Uh, first of all, we know uh, that you've got a few different things going on. <laughs> so for you to take the time and drive down, you came up from, uh, you're in Orange County, right? Yeah, Laguna Beach. Yeah, Laguna Beach. Yeah. Nice, nice, man. So yeah. for you to come down from Laguna, fight a little bit of that uh, southbound traffic here to, to be yeah. with us, and then you're going to obviously fight the northbound traffic to get oh, back up, man. Uh, again, really do appreciate that. But just out of the gate here, let's let's get this out of the way early, which yeah. is how do you meet the criteria for Beyond Eight Figures? Did you either exit from a business for more than eight figures? Do you currently run a business that generates more than eight figures annually or both? Yeah, so um, uh, it would be the former. We exited the business. And um, while I can't disclose the uh, final sales price because of public company acquiring us, I'll give you the other stats, which actually get exciting, right? Sure. So we actually owned a, um, a real estate brokerage. Uh, which I fell into, and we can get into that story. We grew it 10x in five years. We had over 600 agents. We did 3.6 billion in top line sales, uh, which was 83 million in revenues. Mm. And um, uh, we had 22 offices. Uh, and at the end of last year, which is the end of 2017, we were acquired by um, a public company out of New York called Douglas Element, mm. and it was their largest transaction that they've ever done. Mm-hmm. And so how and, and just so I'm clear on this in the real estate space, when you talk about top line revenue, uh, revenue of three point six billion dollars, what you're talking about, if a house sells for a million dollars, that would be included in the top line revenue of three point six. Correct. That's but, why. Yeah, that's why the the the, so the sales number is a three point six billion number, which is what's published a lot. And so I want to. I want to temper that with everybody saying, hey, that's not that's not what Sharon walked away with. Yeah. Right. Uh, so call it 
revenues, gross revenues for the firm was $83 million. Yeah, and, but it's an interesting industry because just because you – I mean, look, it's not recession-proof, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if a recession hits and sales stop, you guys are kind of toast. Sure. But at this point – and what year was that exit? Two, the end of 2017, September 2017. Okay, so very recently then, yep. so just uh, just about a year, a year ago, ago now. Yep. And, uh, and so you're sober now, which is good. So you spent the last year, you know, celebrating and uh, back to sobriety. Yeah. Thank you for that, for driving sober. Uh, but the, the point being, $83 million then was what floated to uh, your company, Telus, at that point, Correct. in terms of uh, like a 2% commission or whatever it was off of the million dollar sale. That's how you account for. The eighty-three million in revenue. That's correct. Two point six eight percent. Two point six eight percent to be exact. Averaged out. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. It's, it's the greatness way. is in the granularity, man. Yeah. You got to know your numbers. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk a lot about that. Yeah. So, to that end, how does a Douglas Elliman? We don't have to get into specifics here, but in terms of a brokerage, I've always wondered uh-huh. about that. In terms of how does it then get valued? Because it is cyclical. It does move year over year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you started with the business when they were doing about three hundred million in top line revenue. As you right. said, you ten xed it. But how does it get valued then? It, what, what, what is typical in the real estate world in terms of uh, an exit or an acquisition, et cetera? How do, yeah. uh, just generally speaking. Yeah, great question. So there's uh, generally three ways in which the exit valuations work, uh, valuations work for a brokerage itself. The first one is uh, just call it EBITDA, right? Or, or, uh, sure. There's no depreciation amortization because you, you have service professionals. Yeah. So it's generally a multiple of EBITDA. Where you uh, and how deals are generally structured is since your assets, which is the agents, can walk out the door the next day, you have a certain upfront payment and then some kind of formulaic are not built into that. That is generally how it worked for a traditional brokerage. Uh, for others in today's marketplace, they almost are buying speed. So there's a replacement cost opportunity where, hey, I am picking firm, coal banker. I want to come into San Diego. I have no presence in the San Diego market. Mm-hmm. It'll take me 10 years to build this footprint here. It, Pick a number. It's going to cost me $25 million in 10 years. Discounted you know, cash flow of that is $17 million. If I can write Sharon check for fifteen and still keep him to drive value, that's a good thing. So there's a replacement cost. Mm-hmm. And then there's a hybrid. Now, we were on the hybrid model, and I'll tell you that because sure. uh, uh, we were – it's very hard to pay for growth. Like we were growing, and we got bought by Elman. There was a – they wanted to be in California, yet we had the – so we we had the we were, had the foothold here, yeah. and they were turning on they were turning on six hundred agents and three point six billion on on day one with a footprint would have taken them ten plus years to build. Yeah, and especially and when they were, they wanted to be in all we were fortunate they wanted to be in all the marketplaces that we were already in, mm-hmm. and so that it was a nice model match. So is this stock is this cash is a combination thereof. So um, our, I can't discuss it, but it was a it, let's just say it was a multi part deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did they have you stay on? Was it part of the contract for them for you to stay on and run things for a period of time? Yeah, I did a six-month integration, um, and uh, one of my partners is still there as kind of the president of the operations now. Uh, but we have, uh, which is very common, we have, a, we have a set period of a non-compete, non-solicit mm-hmm. where I can't op- own and operate, consult and operate another brokerage in that footprint. Mm-hmm. For how long? Five Sorry. years. For, oh, five years. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, Richie? Well, I was going to say since it's cyclical and – you know, during some of that time, you're doing high-end real estate Correct. in California. Did you have a unique way to acquire a customer? Yeah, so um, it, it's very interesting. At, at some point, a uh, we're we're in we're in red ocean waters, right? You, it's a commoditized business, and everybody believes that uh, a, a brokerage is a brokerage is a brokerage. At some point, you have to figure out what where you're, you whether you're a hey, I'm going to go and get clients and hand leads to my agents, or hey, I'm going to go get great agents and support them. You just have to figure out that model very quickly up front. Mm-hmm. And 
all firms will agree that uh, the based on how cottage industry like the agent to client relationship is set up, the agent to client relationship is very hard to displace. So we went down the path of not worrying about how am I going to acquire new clients. We went on the path of how do I build an operating model that can support the agent to go acquire more clients. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, that was kind of the core value proposition of, hey, I, when I walked in on day one, I was like, hey, what is, the, what is the value prop that I can doodle or put in an email subject line? Because what we have is very deeply commoditized. So yeah. that was kind of the first six months of like, how do I get to the heart of building a value proposition? So that when I'm talking to you know, marry the agent, I can be like, hey, I can give you the one sentence pitch and you can be like, whoa, that's awesome. I like that offer as opposed to, hey, come look at my offices or let me give you a little bit more money or give you like marketing flyers, right? Mm-hmm. That's terrible because it's completely commoditized. So let, let's talk about structure then because, yeah. and this goes, let's, we got to take it back to a little bit of the embryonic stages here because your, your situation is unique uh-huh. from the standpoint of you didn't actually start this business. Correct. So TELUS was already in existence. Yes. They were already doing about $300 million in top line revenue. Yes. How did you connect with them what was the story behind that? And that's, I mean, that's a yeah. much different game than like Kingston Lane. Yeah. Right now, you're starting that one from scratch. Correct. So this is a much different scenario. And, and there's a lot of folks out there who have a ton of experience, yeah. have the desire to join a company, yeah. but can't quite figure out how to structure that and how they can help them. Yeah, Richie. Well, I was yeah. going to say, especially because that wasn't your industry prior Correct. either. Yeah. You were doing was, like, investment banking. Invest- yeah. yeah. So I knew nothing about the real estate business. Um, I was a, uh, I was just a, I was an investment banker at Goldman Sachs in New York and my, my partner. So after, oh, let's, let's back up a second. So after um, my first, after we exited our first company, my, I, an angel who was the investor in my first company, he and I became partners. So what was the first company? It was a, it was a technology business. We built optical networking boxes that was acquired by a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was during the, during the boom. And my was that an eight figure exit? Yes, it was also an uh-huh. eight figure exit. Wow. Yes. Okay, yeah. but that but I was a non founder on that, um, and so I joined an existing founding team on that one. Okay, so again, this is an opportunity for you to come in and help an existing Correct. company, help it build up. Right. And you were an employee at that point. Correct. Obviously, you had some yeah. sort of share yes. of yes. the company, etc. Yeah. So, yeah, was that was that a seven figure exit for you personally? Um, yes, it was. Yes, good. So yeah. then you moved into this whole so investment banking. Yeah. That's a whole other world onto itself, and yeah, I mean, we yeah, can get so, into that. But I'm just yeah. curious about how this, this Telus thing came about. Yeah, so let's just do, do the very quick 30-second story. So we are uh, very fortunate to start a business. Uh, I'm sorry, join a company that was uh, doing technology. Uh, we built and sold that. I took five years off. I was a I taught tennis around the world, and uh, it was you know actually I learned more there than anything else because mm-hmm. you, you you start to teach tennis at a Four Seasons. You learn hospitality the real way, right? Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. And then I was like, hey, I got to do something now. And the only way you can do something after that is I went to business school because no one's going to hire me, hire a teaching pro because they're like, what have you been doing for the last five years? Um, and so I went to business school at Vanderbilt. I got an MBA, went, went straight to New York. And I said, wouldn't it be amazing to figure out how deals get structured? Because in my first company, I got ratcheted down. Like I, I, I got diluted during, during the sale. I could have made a ton more money. I mean, I could have made 50X more. Wow. Right? And so when you read a ratchet contract... It gets very exciting because you're like, oh my gosh, 
I didn't have no idea what this even means. Mm-hmm. So I said, it wouldn't be amazing to actually go and learn how deals are structured. So, so hold on. So you can't just gloss over that. Yeah. So so a typical scenario then is dilution and this whole scenario here around a ratchet contract and so on. You, you just have to you, you have to define that a little yeah. bit so folks understand. Yeah. So so let's use easy numbers, right? So let's say you're uh, as part of your equity based compensation, you're going to make a hundred dollars, right? Uh, or a hundred shares. That's probably easier. You have a mm-hmm. hundred units. Well, when you um, when a there's a provision in the contract that says as a new investor when they come in and you don't hit certain milestones, covenants, whatever, they have the opportunity if they invest more money that you take the hit, so mm. you dilute down, so you ratchet down, and that ratchet number, or the the discount number or the dilution number is formulaic. So when we were building a hardware business, those numbers are high, right? When you're building a software business, you're talking about people. When you're building a hardware business, you're saying I need a million dollars to build a box. And so you need 15 boxes, that's 15 million boxes, and you're mm-hmm. raising that very quickly. So when you, when you actually dilute and you take the hit, you have no idea that you're going to go from 100 to 1 or 100 to 2 or 100 to 3 wow. overnight, right? So suddenly you thought you had 100 shares at a, hun- at a dollar each. Now you have $2, hmm. right? And, that, and, and you learned that the hard way. And I'm fortunate when I was 20, I didn't plan for that. <laughs> so it was okay. Yeah. But if I was – a lot of – I've seen – I'm a venture capitalist right now. I write ratchet contracts in for our founders all the time, and they have no idea. And I explain it to them. I said, I want to explain it to you. I went from having 100 units to two. Do you understand what this contract means? So it makes me feel a lot more responsible mm-hmm. as an investor. You're actually taking care of them as a mentor at that point. Well, you should because I, it's unfair because they're working their tails off without understanding what the contract is. Mm-hmm. And you're doing the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. You're doing the right thing. So at least they know that, hey, Sean, explained the right stuff to me as opposed to – you know, you, so you put a ratchet contract in place before you start looking at the IBs, the investment banks, or when when should a ratchet contract be in place? Well, it's, it's not. It's, it's more just making sure that uh, as long as the as long as good things happen, everything is good. As long as tough things happen, and I have to come in and write a write my fair share of a check at a tough time, yeah. and me bear the risk. Someone's got to pay for it, mm-hmm. and if that means that the founder is going to take the hit, the founder is going to take the hit, mm-hmm. right? Um, all I will say is this: just just make sure you have a great attorney. Yeah, right? just make sure you have a great attorney and have go through the contract. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so essentially, what happened was, so we from from the exit from our first company, we started a small fund, and we were investing in several companies, and we just so happened to be investing in real estate because my partner at that time, or even now, knows real estate. So he ended up investing in a small brokerage, which was Telus. And he said he was just – we were just passive investors. Mm-hmm. And we got an investor statement once and we're like, this just doesn't look right. And so um, – Well, I, what about it didn't look right? Well, the, the – from, from what they were making in top line to what they were making kind of on the bottom line, which looked very red, uh, was like, what, I don't understand how the money flows this way. So mm-hmm. I, you know, we called – me and my partner, we called the principals at the t- that time and they were not uh, – they, they, <laughs> they were not all aligned. Let's mm-hmm. just say the three part founders were not aligned. So we said, hey, um, I, I'm going to take a leave of absence from New York. I'm going to come and help out. And so I, I came out to California. I helped out. How much did you guys have invested in that business at that point? Um, I can't discuss this, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was north of seven figures. North of seven figures. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and, but the interesting part is it, I, when, I, when I looked at the business, I said, there's, an, there's significant opportunity here if it's run well. Um, and so the entire idea was me leaving New York coming out to California, doing a turnaround flip. I'm going to clean out the books, clean out the capital structure, set it up so that a a CEO operator could come in and deliver good value and run this business Mm -hmm. because I knew nothing about the real estate business. And when we did, uh, I couldn't find a CEO. How did did you say that to them in a way that that they wanted you to come, right? Because you're kind of saying you're not doing this right. 
Yeah, so I just said, um, uh, this doesn't look right. It looks like there's something fishy. Before I start to investigate this, I'm going to write you a check and buy you out a book value right now, or we're going to go to court. Hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the folks that were doing the fishy stuff walked away with book value, and so we... We took great question, Richard. So we yeah. took over, and that was how we cleaned out the capital. So you, right. was that a was that a full on acquisition at that point, or was that a majority acquisition? Majority. We needed unless we had majority control. I was not going to come out. So me and my yeah. partner took majority, and we uh, we put a plan to do a turnaround play. Mm-hmm. And so did you come in at fifty one percent, or did you come in at a much higher percentage? Yeah. We 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 came in we we came in at more than fifty percent, uh, just so we can control the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. So you come in. This is 2000, what, 14, 13? This, this is 2011, 2012. 2011. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And at that point, is this where you then said, hey, we've got to really niche this thing. We've got to really figure out where our, our market is, where our unique abilities are. I mean, yeah. like, what, what did that conversation sound yeah, like? Yeah, 100%. So, so you, I think, I think uh, even the founders and CEOs I mentor right now, you've got to just ask them, hey, sim- in the most simplistic way, like, what do you do? Mm. <laughs> like, what do you do, you know? And, yeah. and why is it cool? And if you can't answer that question, I tell you, I'll tell you, nine out of ten founders cannot answer what do you do. Mm. I, I'm shocked when I find an, a founder that answers what do you do. I wanna, I'm like, if this gal knows what she's doing, I want to write a check. I want to mentor them. I want to support them because people that can find, figure out what they do is very interesting. So, for example, um, I would sit in on. We decided to go down the path of recruiting great agents, and that was the model. And I would sit down, sit in on what we called recruiting conversations because it was, this was a people game, right? And it was the same pitch. Like it, you could have just it, you could have just swapped out the the Telus name and put another name, and it was the same exact pitch. And I said, mm-hmm. "This is insane!" Because Richard and Mary are going to four other firms, and they're getting the same exact pitch. And whoever they're connecting with, they're connecting with, and that's what it is. Yeah. We need a value proposition, right? And so, from a turning point perspective, like I'll give you the value proposition. The turning point perspective was: Can we come up with a value proposition? The value proposition was this: um, It was Richard, if you take seven listings or more a year. The TELUS platform can save you one day a week. What would you do with another 52 days a year? Mm. That was a value prop. And so that response would happen in one of three ways. Uh, what, 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 what do you mean? Like, that's impossible. So now I have a belief uh, situation that I can coach to. Mm-hmm. Right? Or it's like, I do so many things. There's absolutely no way you can take that many things away. That's a process question. So I can coach to that. Or they can be like, then, like, how can you afford that? That goes to an economics question. So generally, it's one of those three, and mm-hmm. I can actually coach back to the platform. So the, the, the goal is not just the value prop. The goal is the response to the value prop mm-hmm. so that you can actually – the goal is not the question. The question the question behind the question, right? Exactly. So everybody can memorize the 30-second elevator pitch, but when I do a objection handler or a question or a condition, and if you can't come back to me with the, the truth and the validity behind it, everything breaks down. Mm-hmm. Did you prefer one of the three answers? Not really because uh, you got to meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. That's why, right? Because right. every, everyone is in a different place. Mm-hmm. And some people are just operationally centric. Some people are big picture centric. Some people are like, hey, I, I don't need you. You need me more than I need you. Mm-hmm. And if you can fit, but, but the coaching mindset was always there because I had to, what I call an, I had to create an epiphany, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an epiphany bridge conversation saying, oh, I got to coach Richard to understanding that our processes will win better than him just because we have scale. Mm-hmm. And and so you, I need to take a step backwards yeah. here for a second. So I'm trying to understand that. That, that, yeah, that was very good. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and just to take a, a step backwards here. So the funds to do the acquisition, where did those funds come from to, to get into Telus to begin with? There, that was private capital that we got uh, kind of investing over the years from our first exit. 
Okay, so so that was your. Just want to make sure. So these were your personal funds through uh, this opportunity fund or whatever it is yes. that you want to call it that you had created, yes. which was originally fund. We're using the word fund here a lot, yeah. but originally funded uh-huh. from the exit of the box company. Yep, correct. And did you bring in outside investors to also throw capital into that fund? No, it was it's that fund then and now was all private capital. All private. Smart. Yeah, yeah. All uh, the only reason is I, we just needed control, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's my it's, it's my partner and I were fifty fifty. That's mm-hmm. all we do. Uh, it's we there's I call him. I'm like, hey, I want to do this deal. He goes, great. I don't. And I'm like, okay, we're not doing this deal. It's that simple. It's that simple. And, he, and my partner's fantastic. He's been my mentor for a long time. He's he's sixty three, so mm-hmm. he has good different you know difference in perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an attorney. He ran the largest raw, law firm in the world. So we're good yin and yang on this. Mm. And and it's nice to he's like is it nice to have a father figure and a friend and a mentor and a partner. So yeah. I can talk to him like, I disagree with you. I can also say, hey, can you guide me on this? So, and, th- yeah. and the size of that fund right now, what, what, it, what do you have deployed right now and what do you have available right now in this particular fund? Yeah, so it is, um, it, it's, it's roughly an eight-figure fund, mm-hmm. and uh, we, pro- we have close to 85% deployed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, spending, we're deploying most of our capital now in our current venture, which I'm running, which is Kingston Lane. Kingston Lane, yeah, and we'll get to that in a yeah. second here. So, so the plan for TELUS was let's go in. Let's really build this thing. Was it always with an exit in mind? So uh, this is super easy, and you thought you guys are going to laugh. Um, we took when I took the company, I was like, "Hey, we need some easy math, right? For all the shareholders to make money, we need to hit three point five billion in sales. Like very easy." I said, "If three point five billion in top line sales happen, everyone's going to do well." Okay, real estate cycles generally go in seven years. Let's give us two year window to actually do some work. Mm-hmm. So that's five years. We were doing three hundred some million. We need to get to three point five. Hey, everyone, we need to do. 10x in five years. Like this was not complex. Yeah. Right. And everyone was like, how can, how is this possible? I was like, well, either we commit to doing this with, you know, commitment resources right now or I'm out. Mm-hmm. And so when everybody kind of, you know, bought uh, into bought it, into it yeah. that became the filter, right? So someone would say, hey, Sharon, why are you going, why are you driving to San Diego to meet with this person? Is, is, it, is this going to get us 10x? That was a really great filter for everything that we did. Mm. And that was helpful because it, it kept us what we call, we'll talk about this, it kept us on our singularity of focus. Mm-hmm. So every team member would say, hey, what did you do to do our 10x today? Hmm. Right. And so that also, that started to drive that filter. And I think that's when, when, when organizations don't have their unique value proposition and they no, don't have a filter, they just they they come in in the morning and they don't know what to do because with, when you don't have a strategy, everything looks like an opportunity, right? Well, and also backing into your numbers, you know exactly what each person would have to make per month to get there. And exactly right, yeah. He had it down to the day. How much did yeah. you have to make a day? Yeah, seven and a half million a day. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly because you're like, where's then it dictates actions that will get that result. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And so when you when I just want to make sure I understand then the the structure here. So were the employee shareholders did you have like an employee stock option pool? Did you give them ownership in this growth? In Telus? In Telus specifically. Yeah, so um, we had um, we the the uh, we didn't, but we had about 20 agents who originally uh, came on to support the launch of Telus mm-hmm. uh, that were minority investors and owners as well. Mm-hmm. And so that they kept the core group together. They helped build culture. They helped be our evangelists, et cetera. And it was, that, was, that was great because now you actually had selling agents as a part of the firm, both as an advisory perspective and as a, hey, I got some skin in the game perspective. Mm-hmm. How many did you say you get up to again? Six, 600? Yeah, just, just shy of 600. 
Wow. So wow. you had 580 that had no real ownership position and just the original 20 that uh, that had a little bit. So how yeah. do you incentivize them to, to come along for the ride? Great question. Um, it is, and you may laugh, it's 100% culture, mm-hmm. right? You say, hey, I, I'm going to, if you take seven listings or more a year, I'm going to give you back one day a week. And he's like, well, I could, I could get 25 more days a Can year. Can you explain I could, that? Though? I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. So the one day a week thing, that's the value proposition to yeah. get folks into the... Essentially, it's saying, hey, if you, take, if you take this cadence of listings, I know that you have to do these 100 units of work. Mm-hmm. Can I take scale back that 100 units? into six-sevenths of it as opposed to seven-sevenths of it, right? I so I'm going to give can – can I give you back through either manpower, automation, tools, systems? Can I give you back a day completely, and can I prove it to you? It wasn't through an additional commission that would be above and beyond what others were paying? Correct. It was not. It was not. So it wasn't even a function of economics then at that point. So it was yeah. your scale as a company Correct. that helped them do Exactly that. right. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And so did you, did you hire an IB to was – was this an active process of selling? Did you have – uh, an auction, so to speak, going yeah. on here, or was this just out of the blue? You know, DE gives us a jingle here; yeah. they want to buy us. Like, how, how did that go down? He likes this stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> I can does. go all day, man. So here we go. So I can go all day. So let me let me let me tell you how this how it's how, forty forty. Yeah, I'm talking, we're talking tennis. Now. It's, 40, it's, you know, it's deuce, yeah. It's deuce. It's a deuce um, game. Yeah. So so this is good. And um, if 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 the listener is an owner entrepreneur right now in Canada is breaking through into seven to the eight figure mark, thinking about an exit, I would highly recommend this as a, as a strategy. So when I was at Goldman, I, I, I learned the strategy at Goldman, which is good companies always went to market every year. Good companies always go to market every year in, ter- in, in terms of shopping yourself. Right. So we ran a process every summer, but we also knew that there was only three to four people. Was this an internal process, Inter- or did it was you an inter- hire an we did, not, we did not hire an advisor. So we, you just you sent out I was, an update. I was the banker. Yeah. So you sent out an update to prospective buyers, like with Liquor.com, which is uh, yep. we talked about this yep. a little bit. So with Liquor.com, you know, we don't have an official IB, but we're trying to talk to some folks about strat- you know strategic acquisition, et yeah. cetera. So you would be that that. Yeah. Person. So I ran a process every summer with the three strategics that we knew that would be good fits for us. Mm-hmm. And so the first summer that I got there, I was like, hey, uh, the first summer I won, I was like, I just need to flip this puppy. Like, I'm out, right? Yeah. I don't want to ever do this. And then you fall in love with the company. And then I said, okay, I want to at least know if I had to take this to the open market, what may it be worth? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. So uh, you run a process. And if you if you are kind during the process, I was a banker and no one was kind to me during the process, right? Nobody. Like, they, they treated you like crap. Mm-hmm. I said, if I was kind during the process, he may just give me, give me the model or she may just give me the model. Mm-hmm. All strategic just handed me their model. Mm. They just handed me the spreadsheet. So I go, this is amazing. And the spreadsheet being this is what we need to see in order to make the acquisition? Or no, the no. This is being... how, this is, these are the metrics and this is how we evaluate you. Like, yeah. This is the formula. Oh, cool. It was amazing, right? But you, not everybody gets that. Like, no, people just don't hand you yeah, how they because they're going to look at it and say, hey, yeah, we're going to pay four X EBITDA and then we're going to have like, you know, another three million dollars of synergies and then we're going to do this and Sean's going to stay. And they, they put this formula together. If they don't give you the formula, they have the upper hand because they are the acquirer. If you know the formula, you can build your company to a better formula. So what I did was I, I ran a process every year. It was a soft process and they would hand me their spreadsheet. I would just hand it to my COO. I'd be like, hey, dude. Can we just tweak like these levers? And so every year we tweak the levers. Mm-hmm. And so every year we saw the valuations go up. And out of the blue, we got a, we got a, we got a Douglas Elliman call mm. because Douglas Elliman had been in New York. I'm sorry, a New York company had, had uh, wanted to open LA. They opened Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills is a very hard market to crack because it's the, it's the battle of the boutiques in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a three to five year period to get any kind of stronghold in Beverly Hills. And we had just gone through that process, like mm-hmm. six years of that. 
And I was like, this is so hard. And the, the, the interesting part is it's not that it's hard to crack. It, the agents had already just splintered over the last six years. They were already they just moved. So getting them back, you have to write big checks. And now you're walking into a market writing bigger checks. Mm-hmm. Now you're trying to play the economics play mm-hmm. and no, at the Battle of the Boutiques, right? So they needed, they, they needed a shot in the arm. And we were a good fit for them model match-wise. Our, our, our economics lined up. Our culture lined up. They wanted the footprint. They were independent yet publicly traded. So there was transparency. And it also gave us a uh, – it gave Talus agents an extension of their value prop. Because they had, there was a big money backing and they had the network, et cetera. So we just got very fortunate from a timing perspective. But the, the key lesson here was we went to market every year, so we always knew what we, what we were potentially worth. Mm-hmm. Did you kind of maybe consciously or unconsciously invite people that you knew weren't going to necessarily acquire you? Or did you just start to realize they were giving you this and go, eh, well, maybe we'll just invite these people. They won't get us, but we'll keep getting information to get better? Or no, that just I, happened to work yeah, out Yeah, you way? know, because the, they, 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 they talk, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I um, like, 10 years ago, I was, I was just aggressive, commercial. I was the jerk. Like, I would do whatever it takes to pound the door down and get stuff done. And there was a time when I got really sick and I just realized that – and I don't mean this to be hokey. I just realized that being kind is super important. Yeah. And I just kind of want the other – and I, I just do – just try to be kind and say, hey – and I tell the acquirers, hey, we're talking to the usual suspects, right? We're talking to these three and the fourth, fifth, and sixth we don't care about because we're not a model match. So you just mm-hmm. tell them who they are. Mm-hmm. And they all know that you're talking to them anyway. Mm-hmm. Most of them will actually say, hey, if you're going to run an active process, you need to sign an NDA that you could only stay in active process with us for the next 60 days. And I'd be like, hey, I can't do that because I'm talking to these other people right now. And then sometimes we've signed it to stay as part of the process, but I just try to be super transparent. Yeah, and I would think that it's to, to some extent uh, a firm like Douglas Elliman would be willing to pay a premium mm-hmm. Versus someone else who was just looking at this as sort of a, a top line commodity oriented opportunity. Correct. Yeah? Correct. So, can you speak to the to the premium in terms of alignment versus just someone who's looking at it from an EBITDA perspective? Yeah, totally. And, and the, the, the element was really smart. They said, "Hey, you know, we're not only getting." Uh, it, it was the it was the minnow buying the whale because they had an office of maybe sixty agents in California and they were buying six hundred. So they so now they had to like turn on scaled operations. And but the Telus organization was going to run the footprint. Because we were, we, they were going to almost somewhat embody about a bunch of the Telus culture, whether you liked it or not, because mm-hmm. they, they, you know, because of, of just sheer volume. And so, um, the other thing is, it's just sad to say, but uh, it, human capital is just it's just tough to find around these days. So they were they sure. were buying human capital, right? They were buying, hey, you got, you got four partners, you got culture, we got systems in place that work. Uh, we don't have to integrate new systems because all of this stuff works. And they had a turnkey, like they were making money. It, it, day one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is super exciting for mm-hmm. any acquisition. They basically slapped their logo on Ex- it. Exactly. The yeah. hardest part, uh, and, and you'll appreciate this, the hardest part was the rebrand. The yeah. hardest part, because now you have to tell the difference. The hardest part was the rebrand, and we did the rebrand in 90 days. Well, so we went in nice. and we did a 22 office rebrand in 90 days. But that name did carry cash. Totally. That's 100%. That's why it went Exactly well. right. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so you... you Sign the contract. You have this six-month integration deal that mm, roughly six months, right? You said it was six months. Yeah, so months I, had, I had – so, so uh, full, full disclosure, I didn't have a um, – my covenants were my non-compete and my non-solicit. I could have left on day one if oh, I wanted. Oh, you could have. I could you have. chose to stay. Correct. Was there upside for you to stay? 
Uh, there's still parts of the deal that yeah, I'm, I'm, we'll still get paid out over the next five years. So you still have a piece of Douglas Elliman then, or something of Correct. that nature. Okay, yes. so it was, so it's a cash and stock deal, just kind of reading between the lines. It's 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 a it's call call, call it a cash and an earn, call it a you know an earn out. There's a there's an earn, there's a formulaic component to it. Yes. It's, yeah, it's not just because you started being a nice guy. <laughs> well, that doesn't. It hurt, does right? take you a long <laughs> way. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I just it's it's you got to do the right thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And so I'm just trying to now get uh, a bit of an understanding here around how your mind works because you, yeah. you, you get this exit, you decide to stay on. There's a bit of an earn out opportunity sure. there for you. There's a bit of upside if yeah. you stay on. So you stay on. You had done the tennis thing. I mean, you were a pro for a while. You've been teaching for a while. You're a family man, right? So yeah. was there a part of you who was like, you know, forget this noise. I'm done for a while. Like, I don't want to do anything else. Did you at least... Did you shut it down for a minute, or is that just not how you're wired? No, no, no. I shut it down for a minute. Um, so I took uh, I took a few weeks off. Uh, my, a my, few weeks. Good. My wife, my, my <laughs> he wife didn't took even our take his own fifty two days. I right? know. My, yeah, right? my, my wife took our um, took our uh, home office and she converted it into a uh, not an office. Mm. And I was like, well, "What are you doing, honey?" And she's like, "Well, get out." Like you being in the house is going to be the worst thing for us. Mm. And, and so um, I spent a lot of time. It was a really positive time just reflecting. Mm-hmm. And so I went, to the, I went to the boardwalk every day in Laguna. I sat there. I, I sketched in a notebook for 30 straight days. Nice. Just ideas and, and all of that and um, stuff that I had learned, stuff that I did well, stuff that I didn't do well. I, there was some dark stuff. There was some good stuff. And I actually sat down and I wrote this blog post. Um, which was 37 Lessons I Learned Growing Telus 10X, yeah. which was picked up by Entrepreneur, picked up Great by article. Forbes. And it was just a, and it was not, it was not meant to say, hey, here's who I am, here's what I did. It was just a memorialization of the stuff that I learned so that I would commit to it on paper so that I wouldn't, I would actually follow my own learnings, right? A lot of times we learn something and we don't do anything about it. But me writing it up was just me showing the symbolism of the seriousness of me committing to what I had learned. And I mean, it's been, uh, every time I struggle, like people actually have told me things like, oh, transformations don't happen in isolation. I was like, oh man, you're using my own words against, <laughs> against me. You. Yeah, right. Cool. And it's really powerful. Do so you quote yourself too. No, I, 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 that's, that's just so much hubris <laughs> there, but, but if it, if it explains a concept, well, yeah. I think it's, I think it's fair to do. Um, but memorializing learnings is a really powerful thing. And then mm-hmm. it just so happened that, uh, the current, our current company, Kingston Lane, I was an investor in it and they were, looking to scale and grow. And I was like, hey, listen, I know this market. I know the marketplace. I know how the agents think. I love this product. I actually help seed and find the early founding team. If we can structure the right deal, I can come on as CEO and help grow. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, come on as CEO, meaning like now. I go, okay. So you were having this conversation with the existing CEO. Yeah, with the pre- existing board. and the, I was on the board with the existing president and their operating uh, team. And my idea was, hey, we should take Kingston Lane na- uh, International from day one mm-hmm. as opposed to try uh, in the U.S. market. And they were like, hey, if you want to do that, we need a lot of scale, a lot of people. We need mm-hmm. more people. And so I said, I'll come do it. I'll drive it international. So we, we've been live 120 days. We have thousands of users. We turned on Australia, New Zealand, and Canada in the last three weeks. So very few companies in their first 100 days turn on international markets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's so let's, been- just, and let's just explain what that is. So for those who are unfamiliar, it's not one Kings Lane. Yeah. It is Kingston Lane, yeah. right? And yeah. so Kingston Lane is a push button. Well, I'll let you talk about the technology. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so um, we found that... Um, real estate agents around the world are all uh, struggling with the same problem, which is they do a really good job with their clients, advising clients and managing client relationships. But the new tech, new ideas, new opportunities coming out are just are complex, even for someone like me who actually understands the space very well. 
And uh, so we thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we could create a, hey, let me do three clicks and I can run ads. Let me do three clicks and I can generate marketing. Let me do three clicks and I can get leads. So an agent can just say, I want to spend $100. I want to spend mm-hmm. it in 90210. Go. And then mm-hmm. we do the rest. And so I said, if we can make that a reality, we can do this anywhere in the world mm-hmm. because it's all digital marketing. And we can get people to test and invest with small amounts as opposed to committing to large amounts of capital. Mm-hmm. And that was, the, that was the vision. That was the kind of the, the, the idea. And we tested it in a bunch of markets. It started to work really well. And then we built a whole brand and a whole company around it. And that was the launch of Kingston Lane. And so just, just so I'm clear, the, the technology was already in place. You were, on the, you were on the board. You had invested in this. You were at Seed Capital? Yeah, I had invested. Yeah, we were, it, was, it was early early capital. Yeah. And they came, so they came to you. They pitched you. They pitched your fund because the fund focuses on real estate-related right. investments. So somehow they came to you. What was the original investment that your fund put out into uh, Kingston? The, it's, it's, <laughs> well, um, it, it, it blends right now, but it's, uh, it's multiple. It's, it's, it's north of seven figures, North right? of seven figures. Yeah. And was part of that investment, was that? predicated on your stepping in then as CEO? No, it wasn't. But I, I knew that at some point, if it took a turn that needed me, I was really excited about something mm-hmm. like that. Because I think you, entrepreneurship is a curse. Uh, you know, it's the like, I think that when I say it's a curse, our, our friends and our families bear the brunt of having the entrepreneurial gene, right? So my wife is like, okay, he, he woke up at 445. He's not going to be back until 10. But that's what stokes his fire. And I, that's my husband. Mm. And but it, it there are times when it totally ground on my relationship and we all have to agree to that until I actually had the tough conversation with my wife saying, this is how I am wired. Uh, let's talk about how to make this work. It, it was, it was really rocky. Like she would yeah. be like, you're not around. You're always on your phone. You're always writing. You're always thinking, you know, weekends are not for work. And I'm like, we can, I work all the time that, that there is no weekends. Like we work, I'm an entrepreneur. Like, and, and that's why I say it's not a badge of honor. It's a mm-hmm. curse. And I think it's a curse for people around us. So, um, Element was fine. They were in a good place, and I just thought, "Hey, what would be my what would be my next sh- chance to hit something?" To, I'd never built anything international, mm-hmm. and that was really kind of tugging at my. But heart you don't even have to go international, wow. so to speak, in order to be international. Exactly, be international. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So how did so how did you do that? How how are you getting a foothold? How are you gaining? market penetration how are you moving into these markets where you don't actually have personnel on the ground or do you we have no people on the ground uh but we've built uh, we're starting to do it in a partner model so we have a so we have someone in each country promoting us Mm -hmm. Uh, so we there's a big real estate network in australia uh they had a big real estate conference so i was there i did the keynote and then that you Mm. know that kind of grew to 3d keynote that grew the that grew the brand and so we we Find the right kind of DNA partner and mm-hmm. see if there's a way to get in on there. So it may be a portal. It may be a coaching company. It may be another brokerage. But uh, not having – it's less for the de- delivery of the service, but it's more for just market nuances. Like in, in Australia, for example, like there's no buyer-side commissions. It just doesn't exist. Mm. So you have mm. to learn very quickly that buyers are not taken care of in Australia because there's no incentive. Sure. They don't get paid. So why would you take care of a buyer? So the, half the market just doesn't exist. That's weird. Totally, right? So, But now I can't show up where like half my pitch of understanding agents really well, like I got to like leave half my pitch at home. <laughs> I can only talk about listing stuff, which mm-hmm. is fine. Mm-hmm. But, but it's, it's, you have to know that stuff, right? And so yeah. learning local market nuances has been super powerful. They have different lingo. You know? In, in Australia, the seller, homeowner, pays for marketing. The seller does, yeah. At, at, at time of listing. So the, there is no skin in the game for the agent. 
Wow. So where so where was Kingston Lane at in terms of users and what were they paying monthly yeah. for Kingston Lane when you came on and now however what is it two years no one year it's only been about a year later right yeah uh, so the, the company's been around uh, about a, a eighteen to twenty four months okay um, they were you know kind of building a product getting in, getting some getting some market penetration um, they were doing about say stay shy of two hundred two hundred fifty thousand dollars in annual revenue uh, which is good. Uh, for for a startup because we build a model that way, and um, uh, today's numbers are five times that mm-hmm. uh, in a hundred days. So in a hundred wow. days, but our our model is very simple. Uh, we know that agents don't like uh, big big recurring payments. I'm like, hey, thousand dollars a month or two thousand dollars a month, which is what a lot of people do. So we changed our model to be uh, we give you a free platform with all the infrastructure. You can go do it, landing pages, squeeze pages, all of that stuff. If you can go use it, if you want, it's free. But if you want us to run the ads, if you want us to kind of deliver the service, mm-hmm. uh, we actually take a piece of the management fee. So if you run a $100 ad, we take a piece of that as a management fee. Mm-hmm. So our incentives are aligned where we use advertising or campaign dollars and one-off to drive results. This is hmm. a long-term play, short-term play. What's the, what's the strategy around your involvement? Uh, no, this is, this is good. I, 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 um, I actually believe that we can build an ecosystem around this because uh, when you build an execution platform, Everybody is like, hey, you know, you go from a goal to plan. I'm like, oh, I'm going to sell 100 homes this year. Great. Like, what the heck do I do about it? Mm. Well, here's the execution. I'm going to push, push three buttons on Kingston Lane and get execution. That gets exciting. So I can build, we're, we're building a mastermind around it. We're building, you know, kind of a network around it or a referral network around it. There's a lot, there's a lot of things you can do when you're in the execution business. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have partnerships where we don't compete with others because no one does execution because no one wants to do execution because yeah. you get the wrath of the agent. Yeah. So everybody else wants to support us. So they're like, hey, you, we can plug into CRM systems. We can plug into lead generation systems. So this is more, uh, hey, how can we build a long-term engine? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the idea. So well, go ahead, Richie. Yeah. I was going to say it's interesting. Like um, we spoke with David Hauser, right? Hauser Grasshopper. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't like the freemium model yeah. with the SaaS. But in your case, the difference with with what you sold compared to what he sold, your margin is probably big enough yep. for the done for you. It's like, hey, well, you can do it for free, right. but you know, and it's, it's like so much of what you talk about is transparency. 100%. Even to your list of 37 tips, yeah. where you, yeah. you start out before you give tip one, most of you probably aren't even going to read this, <laughs> but you probably should, you know, Thank which you made me want to read the whole yeah. damn thing yeah. all the way yeah. through just because you said it. Yeah. Like it's a lot of what you're talking about is transparency, transparency, transparency. Yeah. And well, it, I think and I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head because um, everybody is building these new technology businesses in the SaaS world, right? They're like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to collect $20 a month and my valuation is 10x that. What they don't realize is. There's a lot of friction in SaaS because um, November, December, January, maybe you take a vacation, you, your, your, your payment still hits your bill, and you're like, ah, why am I paying for that? Mm-hmm. And that's a really friction-based feeling, mm-hmm. right? Um, what, we are, what, what I think we want to build is you want to buy a result. You don't yeah. want to buy a service. You want to buy a result. Mm-hmm. And so when someone invests in a campaign, they're buying a result. I'm going to spend $100, and I'm going to get 32 leads. Whatever that formula is, there's no but, – but they're buying a result, and if it doesn't work, they're out. Yeah. That's totally cool. So now the onus is on us to deliver. Yeah. And so we are totally in the game of buying a result, and that selling a result – is way easier than selling a service. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Nice. It's way smart. easier. Yeah. So let, let's what, what I want to try to understand here, and for those who are thinking about it from sort of the cart before the horse, yeah. and you know that that whole game is how do you because this what you're describing is in, in a lot of ways what a number of entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs struggle with, right? Which is the whole 
launch versus market penetration. So, like, so if we use uh, you know Airbnb as an example, because yeah. uh, we had Chip Conley on, and we'll, we'll be talking yeah. to him again yeah. soon. But as an example, so if they have this idea, and it's and you face the same yeah. thing, right, with Kingston Lane, here, right? So it's the same sort of situation where it's like I have this great idea, but I don't have enough listings and if i don't have enough listings then i can't get enough users and if i don't have enough users then it doesn't matter how many yeah. listings that i have so how do you address kind of that cart and horse yeah. uh, equation that so many aspiring entrepreneurs and, and even the real estate play that i had totally. briefly talked about with yeah. you and yeah. we didn't go into great detail yeah. on it but it would be the same sort of thing yeah. where there will be a cart and horse issue so how, how do you recommend entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs yeah. address that great question so so let's let's answer that with a framework right because that way you can actually install that on anybody's business sure so there's three parts to it and um if you ask my team you ask my team at telos you ask my team now they will tell you sean's gonna go into three parts because it, it that's how you need a model of the world right mm-hmm. so the number one is you need to have some singularity of focus and the singularity of focus is what you wake up and what you obsess about every single day. Like all we obs- uh, that, and, and I believed when I was at Telus, and we can use the Telus example, but I'll do the I'll do the three parts. Number one is singularity of focus. Number two is the cadence of accountability, and the third is good process drives good results, right? Because we a lot of entrepreneurs will hack stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the singularity of focus. Um, we believe that if we if we recruit agents that were doing at least uh, you know selling at least ten homes a year, we were in the million dollar average price point market. So you do at least ten homes a year. You take January and December off, like it was that model. We need to recruit agents selling ten homes a year. Mm-hmm. That was the singularity of focus. So I was like, I want to talk to every single agent that is doing selling at least ten homes a year or more because that also fits our. Hey, if you take seven or listings or more, you get 52 days off a year. So that's number one. So I, all my sales managers, my recruiting managers will all say, I'll ask them the same thing. Hey, is this person doing 10, 10 million or more or selling 10 homes or more? There, there was a deep singularity of focus there. And our job was how many of those can we get that are a good model, model match for us? So I would wake up every morning and obsess about that. That was the leading indicator for everything because when I got those people on board, I could actually deliver the service, right? That was number mm-hmm. one. But the second is, how do you get those people? Mm-hmm. So we call that cadence of accountability. And our cadence was very simple. We did what we call stand-up. Stand-up is very simple. Every morning, all the sales managers got on a call, and they and, and 11 of us, right, for 15 minutes every morning, 9.45 to 10. And I w- we'd pull up a Trello board. And Trello is just, you know, simple tracking, whatever mm-hmm. tracking you use, spreadsheet. And every person had to go in order and answer two questions. What did I do yesterday for this goal? And what am I committed to doing today? So yesterday I had three appointments and none of them were a fit. Today I'm committed to having two more. So tomorrow you come back and say, well, zero, zero, you look like an idiot in front of everyone else, mm-hmm. right? And so even if you say zero, zero, one day, you're coming back and cleaning it up completely the next day. So we did that every single morning and that was the cadence of accountability that built Telus. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. That was the core cadence, nothing else. Mm-hmm. And the third was, hey, let's stop hacking stuff. At some point, you got to go from hustle and grind to systems and scale. At some mm-hmm. point, that transition needs to happen, mm-hmm. right? And so I was like, I am not built to do this job. And it was just grinding on me. So we did a COO search. And I said, I'm going to go find a COO because I know that this is not in my, this is not, this is not my kind it's of. It's not how you're wired. It's not how I'm yeah. wired. To me, I can build the pieces. I know what needs to get done. I can motivate. I can grind. But someone else needs to tell me. Hey, what are the 14 things we need to do today? Someone's going to look at the bank account. Someone's going to grow. Someone's going to do the reports. And we found an amazing COO. Um, and he probably drove the second 5X of growth in Telus. In mm-hmm. uh, he didn't have a non-compete, et cetera. So he's currently our COO at Kingston Lane. Mm-hmm. So, so it's uh, interesting. So the hustle and grind needs to be replaced by... Systems and scale. Systems and scale. Yeah. And that's, that's cool. one of the questions that I know Richie loves to ask is, you know, what... 
what got you to the 300 million wasn't going to get you to the 3 billion <laughs> yeah, yeah. right so what and what changed then what what did you have to completely abolish was it people was it process what what had to change to go from the 300 million to the 3 billion would tell us it was it was all um it's it's simple so it was it was systems but what we had to do was we all had to get in our lanes so, for example, I was called the GCI lane. You like the acronym, right? So my, my lane was growth, culture, and innovation. If it didn't touch growth, culture, or innovation, I hit forward. Mm. You can do that when you have scale, when, you're, when, you have, when you have a bigger top line. But you can't do that you know, when you're hustling and grinding. But my team has this thing. They call it NEHO. Nose in, hands off. So you, hey, Sharon, you can smell ops all day, but you mm. can't touch so I can, I can pontificate all day I want, but no one's listening to me. It's nose and hands off. Same way, if I'm doing a culture video, I'm doing an office meeting, I'm doing presentations, hey, you can smell, look at my slides, but I own this. Get out of my way. Mm-hmm. So, any, so they're like, hey, where is our new office? I have no idea. Like, I, it's going to be in my, in my calendar. I'm going to hit it on my GPS. And I'm going to show up for the presentation. I'm going to do the presentation. I'm going to walk out because if I don't, it's going to break. Right? And so getting in our lanes was the most powerful thing. And we would, we would crisscross and it would irritate people a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And when you learned uh, that, hey, Steve can do this. He may not do this as well as I do, but he may do it 90% of what I do. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay because the, 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 the camaraderie we have and I work in my zone of genius – that can get way more powerful. And that's, yeah. it, it sounds hokey, but it's really, really hard to do. But you have to define it and write it up. Nice. At what point were you able to do that and break off to ha- work on the culture? Right? Because like you said, if, until you get to scale, that's like... Yeah, I couldn't, get, I couldn't do that until I was out of ops. Mm-hmm. I was, we were kind of, uh, we call it the, I would promise the dream and then service the nightmare, right? And that, that would just get really, uh, and that was just tough. And so mm-hmm. my CEO is always, will always say, yep, yep, here comes Sharon promising the dream to Steve again so that I can mm-hmm. come service the nightmare. And he says it in a funny way, but he's amazing at delivering. Yeah. So he, he can see all the pieces. He can deliver the delight, which yeah. is amazing for me. It's just, yes, I can sell the dream. Yeah. Transformation um, doesn't happen in isolation. Well, thank really, you for using yeah, my I, mean, I appreciate that. No, it's yeah. really, really good because reality is you just can't, you just can't do this on your own. Right. And I think a lot of folks are just so hell bent on holding on to much more and much more longer than they should that at the end of uh, and it's actually it's I mean, it happens very, very quickly where the exponential growth that uh, really suffocates is a matter of holding on to something and holding on much longer to something totally. than they should is ultimately the difference between it. Well, here we talk about beyond eight figures is truly a difference between seven and eight and nine figures and beyond. Yeah. I think the, uh, the the struggle of the entrepreneur, right, is the the entrepreneur has this this passion, this idea, and they want to start something. And they start with a clean canvas. They have space to think. They have space to work. They have space to create. And then they're like, I got HR. I got ops. I got this. I got that. I got leases. I got this. So their space starts to get cluttered. Mm-hmm. When you can just – I will tell you the, the greatest day on my calendar is when I have margin, right, when I have space. Like you can own – you can only create and lead when you have space. Mm. And you got to protect your space because you got in because you're wired that way. You need space. Yeah. And just because you have four extra hours doesn't mean you need to fill that with something. Like I, right. like I have founders that say, oh, I did 17 meetings today. I'm like, you're an idiot. Like that's crazy. That makes no mm-hmm. sense. Like you can't mentally – like the switching cost of like going meeting to meeting is insane. You've never – now how are you – you're going to have – you need eight days to follow up with 17 people. 
you're not giving them the value, right? Mm. It's so so crazy. Probably looked at your phone 14 times because you need you didn't know when your next meeting was starting. Like it's really messy. Yeah. So um, my right. team my team always wants they say you know you you can't lead. We say we can't lead from the margin, right? You can't lead from the margin. Mm. So you always need to create space the way you originally started the business. No, it's beautiful. So we've got uh, we've just a few minutes left yeah. here. Let me ask you this. The First and foremost, thank you for, oh, no, thank uh, again, you. thank you yeah. for being here yeah. because uh, knowing how busy you are and everything that you've got going on, again, to make the drive down yeah, and hang course. out with us here in studio is really, really appreciated. So thank you again of for course. that. Uh, any final thoughts in terms of whether it has to, because this, this show is all about meeting people where they are, right? So some people are in the, the mode of starting. Some people are in the mode of scaling. Some people are in the mode of, of exiting. Yeah. So any brief thoughts around either of those three and just final thoughts in general as we wrap here? Yeah, totally. I, I um. <laughs> I will give, I'll share a quote. This is not mine. This is from a person named Robin Sharma. Great quote. Uh, probably is a defining quote for me every single day, which is every, every distraction is costing you a fortune, mm. right? Every distraction is costing you a fortune. Like we think we need to do so many things. It's if I building that one thing and totally leveraging that. Mm-hmm. And that one thing will come to you. And if it, if we're doing too many things, it just means we haven't found that one thing yet. Mm-hmm. So I just say, stay on. Um, and you know, it, it, board of advisors like are cheap, like mm-hmm. you cutting Steve, you know, you cutting Mary, Steve, and, and Richard a couple of options yeah. to look at your stuff is a no brainer. Mm-hmm. No brainer. So if you have, if you don't have a board of advisors and incentivized board of advisors, don't like the worst thing is, hey, Sharon, can I pick your brain? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I don't want you to prick my brain because I know that if there's, if when you pay, you pay attention, yeah. right? When you give me a piece of your company, you pay attention because you believe that, and I care some more. It's just, I, it's not going to change our lives, but we feel like we're connected to the process in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's insane that all these entrepreneurs want to go at it themselves and don't like enroll everybody you can that can support you and be an evangelist for you. Yeah. And you may, like, Steve may say something over a cup of coffee and you're like, oh my gosh, I found my one thing, right? It's amazing. We try to build all these things by ourselves. Yeah. And so, get a board member on cut them a piece of options like help them you know that way they'll take your call that way they'll prioritize stuff with you yeah no it's beautiful and if people want more information about you sharon where where are the best places for them to go where's obviously kingston lane but that's if they're in the real estate specific market i know you've got your 5 a.m club and so on so uh where where should people go Uh, thank you Uh, the goal is to serve so the 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 website is uh, sharon.com s-h-a-r-r-a-n.com that's a gateway to everything but it's just a portal where it's an intro and access to everything. Yeah, and the 5 a.m. club, you literally wake up every day seven, of the week. Seven, seven days a week. Seven days a week. 365 a year. Yeah, seven days a week. And at the 5 a.m. club, is just a few, for like 10, 15 it's awesome. minutes. And it's, it's actually a three to five minute call. Three to five. Three to five minute call, seven days a week. And we have 2,600 people on the call right now. Wow. And every day you just share a bit of uh, it's a message a, every day, a thought, a thought from the yeah. from the mind of Sharon. Yeah, it's, it's something to get people anchored and inspired that morning so that they can jump on and do good things. Yeah, well, that's terrific, man. We, obviously, we wish you nothing but the best with with Kingston Lane and yeah. and with the fund, and uh, and we'll probably have further conversations. with it. Lots of fun yeah. stuff to, to yeah. Talk and about a lot of people sure. have no idea how hard this is to do and get everyone together. So thank you all for putting this together. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, man, Richie, Mary, I wish we had a little more time here to do uh, do a wrap up. We try to leave a couple of minutes to to kind of wrap up and share some final thoughts there. But uh, we wanted to take you to the to the almost to the final (laughs) second there, man, because uh, just just even that one quote. And I know you said it's not yours, but just bringing it to our attention here. Every distraction is costing you a fortune. I mean, if we hadn't uh, gone on those extra couple of minutes there, I would have missed that from Robin. So thanks for sharing that quote. So. Sharon Shravitsa, Shravatsa, really appreciate you being here on Beyond Eight Figures. And, uh, man, for Mary Goulet and Richie Ote, White Wade and Kelly Pucker, I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you guys next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. Take care, everybody. 
You've been listening to Beyond Eight Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at beyond8figures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.